What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. This is my mom's favorite podcast, so let's get started. I have a lot to cover today. want to jump right into it. As we speak, it's Sunday afternoon as it's being recorded. The final week of the NFL season is underway. Last night, the Steelers took care of business against the number one seeded Ravens, who were resting all their starters to keep themselves alive and get to 10 wins on the season. The Houston Texans won a hard-fought matchup with division rival Indianapolis Colts to clinch their spot in the playoffs with a division crown still on the line. If Jacksonville loses to Tennessee, and as we are currently recording this, that is happening, with Houston's win last night, they would clinch the AFC South, and I believe the the... The scenarios are a bit complicated at this point, but I believe if Jacksonville loses because Pittsburgh won last night, Jacksonville would be eliminated. Don't hold me to that. I could be wrong, but I think that is the case. Uh, the the big game left to play, see what happens, is between... It is the regular season's finale on Sunday night, which is tonight, between the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. The winner wins the division. The loser may or may not be elim- be eliminated based on what is left to play. I believe they would still make it, but the winner wins the division. And it is crazy that just a week ago we were talking about the fact that Buffalo could either be the second seed in the AFC or eliminated. The fact that that was even a topic of conversation is crazy to me. I still believe both the AFC and the NFC run through Baltimore and San Francisco, respectively. I know that's probably a little crazy to say, considering that, yeah, they are the one seeds. That's usually how it happens. But in this case, I believe that Baltimore and San Francisco have been the creme de la creme all year long. I, I think it's been clear very early on that these were the two teams that were better than everybody else. Uh, but we'll see. You know, that it doesn't automatically mean that they'll make the Super Bowl. I'm, I really have my eye on Cleveland as a threat to division rival Baltimore. And there are a lot of threats to San Francisco. I think, I think Dallas is formidable. I think Detroit on their best day is one of the more unbeatable teams in the NFL. So it is not a foregone conclusion that the Super Bowl will be Baltimore and San Francisco. I, for one, think that would be a really fun Super Bowl. But the the NFL playoffs start next week after we conclude the regular season here in just a few hours, and I'm really excited to see what happens. We have a bunch of good teams who have played really hard all year. It'll be good. Um, Houston, I think is nothing against Jacksonville, who's led the division all season. And I said this before last night when Indy was still in the conversation. I said, I think of all three teams that are of in the AFC South that are fighting for divisions, Houston is the most reliable and the most able to make noise. I don't think they could beat Baltimore. I don't really think right now they could beat Cleveland. but. I think I think C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's rookie quarterback, rookie head coach in the playoffs is something really, really cool for Houston. 
So the NFL playoffs are looming. It's one of the best times in the sports calendar. We'll see what happens with the AFC East, as well as if Pittsburgh makes it in. You know, we have a ton of candidates for Coach of the Year this year. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, to me, is the obvious choice. Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans definitely deserve some to be in the conversation as they took two teams that no one expected to be one game from the playoffs to a winner-take-all regular season finale. Dan Campbell is, is, is another potentially obvious choice for some. But I think because of the fact that if if I had a vote today, I'd vote for Stefanski and what's going on in, in, in Cleveland because of all those injuries and the fact that they've they've managed to get into the playoffs with 11 wins. They are getting shut out right now by uh, Balt, uh, by uh, Cincinnati last I checked. I believe they're resting a lot of people so they don't um, have further injuries. So that makes sense there. But the fact that they've gotten 11 wins and gotten to the point where they are is crazy to me. So Stefanski would get my vote, but I think the coach we have to be talking about, which is nuts because a couple of weeks ago we were talking about should he be fired, is Mike Tomlin. We've talked all year about how terrible this Pittsburgh offense is and how how many things they've had to overcome as far as firing Matt Canada and bringing in a new offensive coordinator and, and switching up the quarterbacks three times to try to get something to to work right. And they've managed to still get 10 wins and be on the verge of the playoffs. It is a testament to just how insanely good of a coach Mike Tomlin is. You know, we've already talked about that he's had 17 straight non-losing seasons, which would be a crazy stretch by any imagination. But the fact that Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. Like, from his first year as an NFL head coach, he had 10 wins and won the division in his first year, and he has not had a losing season since. He had a couple of 8-8 eight and eight seasons in the middle there, but 17 consecutive non-losing seasons for a first-time NFL head coach is remarkable. And... The fact, you know, we talk about the fact that coaches like Bill Belichick and Nick Saban in the college game have earned the right to decide for themselves when they're done. And ironically, I don't think that's going to be the case in New England after today. I think Bill Belichick is going to be let go, whether the Patriots... Uh, spin it as mutual or not, I think he's going to be let go in favor of starting over with somebody new, but I do believe that he has earned the right to call his own shot, and it's it's crazy to talk about Mike Tomlin that way, considering he, like, this Steelers job was his first NFL job 17 years later. I think he has earned the right to, whenever he decides to be done with the Steelers, to call his own shot. Because the fact that Mike Tomlin has led this team to 10 wins with that offense being as bad as it's been from week one, especially because in the preseason we talked about how much fun that offense was going to be because because Kenny Pickett and George Pickens looked really, really, really good in the preseason. And yeah, I know, it's the preseason, whatever. But then for the regular season to start and that all to change 
like the flip of a coin. The fact that Pittsburgh is still on the verge of the playoffs warrants Mike Tomlin to definitely be in the conversation for coach of the year. Like I said, my vote goes to Kevin Stefanski and all of the all of the adversity that they've put up with with injuries, but Dan Campbell is also in there, but Mike Tomlin's got to be in the conversation. Moving on to the NBA, uh, where we will actually be for most of the rest of this episode. It's a very NBA-heavy episode. Um, I said on last week's podcast, or last time, that I don't love talking about this person over and over and over again, but he keeps popping up. After just 12 games, the NBA has reinstated Draymond Green from his indefinite suspension. They have said that he will need to probably about a week to ramp up back to being ready to get on the court. So he'll miss about another three or four games, bringing his total suspension to around 15 games. I really hope that Draymond has gotten the help he needs, taken time to, to really look at what's been going on. Fact of the matter is, I do not think 12 games is not 15 games is enough time. Maybe maybe that's around a month because the NBA hates back-to-backs apparently. Um but he's been in a lot of trouble recently and he's injured a lot of people and I don't 3 3 weeks is not enough time to change much of anything and not just in the NBA in life. Like 3 weeks like they they there there there's a saying that it takes 21 days to form a habit. Um, I really think it takes a lot longer than that to break a habit. And Draymond's antics have become something of a habit. And I just don't think this has been enough time. The The minimum number that the media threw out there when, when Draymond was suspended, the, the, the minimum number that was thrown out was 20. Um, I personally believed that he that that he and the NBA shouldn't consider coming back this season, and yet the NBA has already reinstated him with an eye toward him coming back as soon as he's ready. So that suspension, like as I said, being around 15 games, I don't agree with it. But hey, if he comes back and he plays differently and he's a changed player, okay. But the overwhelming sentiment that I saw in the comment sections of the news articles that were like, he's been reinstated was what's the over under on his next tech? What's the over under on his next suspension? So there aren't a lot of NBA fans that believe that this is a long enough time for significant change. And, and personally, I agree with that. I'm hoping for different. I'm hoping for the best because I don't want to see, I, I, I don't want to see anybody else get hurt, but What's going to happen if what's the over-under on his next tech turns into, well, it happened again. What's the over-under on his next suspension? Well, it happened again. I feel like at that point, the NBA would have no choice but to suspend him for the rest of the season. Because if you've already suspended him indefinitely, and then you bring him back pretty early, and it happens again, you you have no choice. You've painted yourself into a corner. So with that being said, I don't want to spend too much time on that because I don't want Draymond to yet again dominate another podcast. But it has to be asked, like, how is 12 
15 games enough time for significant change based on what we've seen from Draymond recently. Um, moving on to some lighter news, I want to take a moment and congratulate the Detroit Pistons on finally ending their 28-game losing streak with, with a 129-127 to win over the Toronto Raptors on December 30th. Look, this season has been anything but great uh, for the Pistons in Detroit. It's a proud organization with a great history, several championships, quite a few Hall of Famers. But it, but but it, but it's been a rough time in the Motor City recently, and I think the the entire NBA was glad, unless you're maybe a Chicago Bulls fan. I think the entire NBA was glad for the Detroit Pistons when when the streak ended because no fan base. No team deserves that amount of struggle. That's that's a lot. Like, I could see, you know, you get to that point and you're like, why are we even coming out here? Why are we even playing? But what I do want to mention, and I know this is going to sound silly because the Pistons are 3-32, and 32, seemingly a lock for the, the top pick, depending on how the lottery works out. But I do want to mention, I, I, I want to give Detroit props because even though they are 3-32, and 32, when, when, when we look back at the, the New Jersey Nets that were 9-73 and 73, or whatever their record was uh, when they were the worst team in the league, they weren't in a lot of games. They weren't playing very hard. They, they were getting blown out. It, teams were walking. It it was a gimme, and based on Detroit's record, you'd be like, "Well, it's a gimme." Like they're three and thirty-two. But if you look at their results, kind of during the streak, this team. I don't think this is a situation of it being a bad team. I think this is a situation of it being a really young team. Cade Cunningham, Killian um, Hayes, Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, all in their first two or three years in the NBA. I think they have a very talented young roster. They don't have a lot of veteran leadership. They don't have a lot of experience. I think Monty Williams is, is a great coach. Unfortunately, I think the Pistons are going to look at the record and be like, well, this didn't work out. See you later. But Monty Williams has had success. He got the Phoenix Suns to the finals. And yeah, I know the Phoenix Suns were a much, much more talented team than the Detroit Pistons. But I think this is a situation of like, I'm not saying this is going to be a playoff team in two years, but the talent on this roster is really good. And if you look at these, these, some of these results, you know, you have 131 to 123 against the Pacers, an eight-point loss. You have 130 to 124 against the Hawks, six-point loss. 119 to 111 against the Jazz. 11 points against the Nets, and then 6 points against the Nets the next night. 6 points against the Celtics, one of the best teams in the NBA. Where we were watching that Celtics game being like, are, are they going to do it against the uh, one of the top teams in the East? They kept it close. You know, they, they beat the Raptors a couple nights later. They, they scored 148 against the Jazz and only lost by 6. They lost by 4 against the Warriors. Like, they're... There, the, there are some results like they got beat by thirty-two against the Bucks, and they got beat by thirty-two against the against the Sixers on back-to-back -back nights. But this team, it's very clear 
that this team plays hard. And if you're watching the games towards the end of the losing streak, they wanted to win those games so badly. And I th- so I think this team has the right mindset moving forward. Uh, we're not just going to come out here and lay down. And that's what you want from a young team like this. Detroit is one of the younger teams in the NBA with an average age of just under 25. And most of the most of the teams that are above them as far as younger teams are having their struggles. I think the, the notable exceptions here, the only teams that are younger than the Pistons that are doing better, the Magic, the Pacers, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think for those three teams, I think it's because those, as young as the, that team is, the nucleuses have been together a little bit longer than the Detroit Pistons. The youngest team in the NBA is, unsurprisingly, the San Antonio Spurs, and they have five wins. So youth is, when you don't have a lot of veteran leadership, youth can be an issue. Oklahoma City has veteran leadership. Um, SGA's been doing it for a while. Um, in, in in Indy, Miles Turner and and Therese Halliburton have, have been around for a few years. Orlando, and I, and I think this is kind of Orlando's problem, they started out doing well. They're, they were second in the, in the East for a while, and now they've fallen down to sixth or seventh. I think that's one of their Achilles heels, is they don't have that veteran leader to lean on. They don't have that Therese Halliburton, Trey Young, Damian Lillard type that is going to shoulder the scoring load. And so I think that's that's something that Orlando suffers from as well. But if you look at if you look at Detroit, they have Cade Cunningham, who is exceedingly talented. We knew that when he was coming out of Oklahoma State, he, he was the best player in the country. He had a rough rookie year, but he's been doing really well. He is playing his butt off in some of these games. I think Detroit has a very very bright future. They're just really really young right now. So I want to celebrate that they ended this losing streak. And uh, watch watch those young players grow because I really do think that this is a it's a different situation in that they're not they're not a terrible team that has that that well they're not a team that has just rolled over and allowed people to walk all over them. They have played extremely hard for Monty Williams, and that's another reason why I don't think I don't think you can just straight up be like, all right, Monty, you got to go because you lost your your three and thirty two and you lost twenty eight straight during the course of a season because you have to look at, are they playing for him? Are they playing hard? And the answer to that question is yes. So I'm not making any, any bold claims like, Oh, the Pistons are going to be a playoff team next year or, or, or anything like that. But I'm saying sustained success and growth takes time. And this is just chapter one. Don't throw the book out when you're just reading, when you're still on the first chapter. And that's my message for the Detroit Pistons front office. Don't don't give up on this yet, just because this season has been really, really, really rough. Celebrate the win. Look at how close some of these games are against good teams, and build and build off of it. The NBA is a league where one or two players can make a huge difference. Maybe you go, maybe you go out and convince some veterans to join the team next year and then things change quickly. Things can change quickly in the NBA.
don't give up on the Detroit Pistons. And that's a message for the front office. I want to stay with the NBA, like I said. I want to go to a couple of people, and I mentioned one a minute ago, who are who have had insane weeks on the court. Two people that I think should be in the conversation for MVP this season. One maybe not as one's a little more obvious. One maybe not as much in the conversation as the other. But the first person I want to talk about is Therese Halliburton, who at the very least should be like most improved player. Like he has taken a massive leap forward for Indiana this year and made them one of the one of, one of the most surprising and most fun teams to watch in the NBA. They made it to the semifinals of the in-season tournament. They're they're currently in the playoff picture right now. Tyrese Halliburton is averaging 24 points a game. He's 22nd in the league in scoring, which is why I don't think you put him on the short list for MVP. But the week he has had specifically is just insane. He is leading the NBA in assists, which is what I want to talk about here for a second. Is that when you pass the ball a lot, there's always the very real possibility that you're going to turn the ball over. Because it's just, it, it comes with the territory. Tyrese Halliburton had a five-game stretch this week where he averaged 16.8 assists and 1.2 turnovers a game. And in two of those five games, he had no turnovers. One game in particular on December 28th, Tyrese Halliburton did something that only one other player has done, and that was Chris Paul. Uh, I believe he did it when he was with the Clippers. He had 21 points, 20 assists, and zero turnovers. As I said, it's only the second 20, 20, and zero game in NBA history. What Tyrese Halliburton is doing is absolutely unreal. The other player I want to give a shout out to, and this this guy definitely on the short list for MVP because he's already got two of them. I want to give a shout out to Nikola Jokic because we already know how talented Nikola Jokic is. Um, I I I mentioned on my episode with with um, Bo Beach, who plays professionally in Serbia, that they they see Jokic as literally a god in Serbia, in his home country. So we know how good Jokic is. That is not breaking news on this podcast. Like, hey, Nikola Jokic is pretty good at basketball. No. What I do want to talk about, though, the four-game stretch that Jokic had, where he only, where in, a, in four games, he missed five shots total, including a game against Memphis on the 28th, where he went, 11 for 11. He didn't miss a shot. And then the next night against OKC, he went 9 for 10. So in a two-game stretch, he went 20 for 21. In the four-game stretch, he went 39 of 44 for a field goal percentage of 88.6. Five misses total in four games. I always like to highlight these players that go on these unreal stretches. I know there's a couple of years ago, James Harden had a, had a 30 point game streak and we've seen Damian Lillard do that as well. I always like those short burst 
stats where you can inflate a little bit and be like, oh man, this guy's averaging, you know, 45 points in two games against this team. I, I always get a kick out of those kind of stats. So I wanted to highlight these two players who at the very least should be, sh should have their names come up during, during award season at the end of the year. Nikola Jokic, I think, is you can't go wrong picking him as an MVP candidate. Tyrese Halliburton, I don't I don't think you throw his name in for MVP just because he's 22nd in scoring and you know he is leading the league in in assists, but and he's third, I think, in three pointers made. But I do think you really have to look at him when you talk about most improved player, because I do think he's taken a giant leap into making, turning him into a, maybe a desirable destination for free agents in the future. They're in the playoff picture. Miles Turner is there. Uh, Buddy Heald is there. Tyrese Halliburton is there. Like, it could, if if you're a guy looking for a, for a young, exciting team, because as I mentioned, Indy is on the young side, it's a fun place to consider. And if, 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 if you're a frequent listener of this podcast, you know how big a fan I am of Benedict Matherin, who is also in Indy, and, and they got Obi Toppin. So there's a lot of really good players in Indy, and with Tyrese Halliburton taking a huge leap forward as the unquestioned leader of that team, it's a very exciting team to watch. That's, that's all I have as far as the NBA is concerned, and before uh, we get out of here, this is probably going to be a little bit of a shorter one, um, because last week we went long, so we're gonna we're we're gonna give you some time back from last week. I wanna I wanna call out something kind of funny that I saw, and I, I honestly kind of agree with is that um, Jim Harbaugh had a quote this week where he was talking about his quarterback J.J. McCarthy as 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 um, Michigan gets ready to play in the national championship game against Washington. Um, tomorrow, as this is being recorded on Monday, as our, this is being recorded on Sunday, the national championship game is Monday. So tomorrow, Harbaugh and Michigan will take on Michael Penix Jr. and Washington for the national title. But before he, he gets there, he was talking about his quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. And he said, J.J. McCarthy is the greatest quarterback in Michigan college football history. And you know, you, you you take a step back and you say, well, okay, if you're talking about the state of Michigan, probably because there aren't there haven't been huge names that have come out of Michigan State football, that kind of thing, or or any other school. We and um, Kirk Cousins played at Michigan State, but but you know that's probably the biggest name they've had, um, at least in recent memory. But then I I was like, well, who else played at Michigan? Tom Brady the 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 goat but then i but then i took a step back and i said well yeah tom brady's the goat of the nfl but at michigan for much of that time he was a backup to drew henson if you look at the stats for the 2000 orange bowl which tom brady started for michigan in his in his final collegiate start he did lead them on a to an overtime victory against Alabama. And if if you watch those highlights, he does look like the Tom Brady we now know. But keep in mind that like I said for most of for for a por for a portion of his college career, he sat behind Drew Henson who 
at the time everybody thought was going to be the next big thing. And then he spent some time in the NFL. That didn't work out. He went to baseball. That didn't work out. And Tom Brady, again, was drafted at 199. So even the NFL was like, all right, this guy's good, but he's not. He's not John Elway. He's not a superstar in the NFL. Granted, 20-something years later, he proved him very, very wrong. But so taking a step back and looking at Harbaugh's comments, he's saying McCarthy is the greatest quarterback in Michigan college football history. The only real competition that I can see for that title, just taking in the college portion of it, which which is how I took the comment, is Chad Henney and all the success he had at Michigan. But if J.J. McCarthy wins a national championship, then that's something that Henney never did. Henney never even got to the national championship. So I think Harbaugh's correct that J.J. McCarthy is the greatest in Michigan college football history. Maybe the greatest quarterback to ever go to Michigan is Tom Brady. But when we look at the college resume of quarterbacks, I think it's J.J. McCarthy. And Tom Brady would tend to agree, probably, because his response was, no doubt, go blue. So the greatest of all time acknowledges that J.J. McCarthy is the great is the greatest uh, quarterback in, in Michigan college football history. Now, the connection between these three brings up a very interesting possibility, which is the only which thing which is the last thing I want to talk about before I get out of here, is that Jim Harbaugh is almost for sure. He's kept a tight lip on it to this point, but it's 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 almost for sure that. Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL after tomorrow night, win or lose. Um, and we've there have been a lot of teams that have we've thrown their names around for his services, and and the Bears are an, are an obvious choice because things aren't going super great in Chicago. They're they're poised to potentially take the next great quarterback. If you believe they should, I do not, but that's another thing. Um, I personally believe that the best fit for Harbaugh is the Chargers. I think they already have an established quarterback. They have some really good players. They, they he he could help build that franchise into something that it hasn't been able to be for most of its tenure in the NFL. Uh, but the interesting part is that the Raiders have come up, and I personally don't would not agree with the hiring of Harbaugh because I think Antonio Pierce has earned the right to continue as the Raiders head coach, especially after they've been in this situation before, just a couple of years ago when Rich Passaccia led them when Rich Passaccia led them to a surprising playoff berth after the unceremonious firing of John Gruden midseason. Many people believed that Passaccia earned the spot, and Mark Davis chose to say thanks but no thanks and went after the shiny new toy that is Josh McDaniels instead, and we all know how that worked out because we're in the same situation again. 
And I think, I think for Mark Davis to be in the same situation and not learn from it would be something horribly misguided. But I will say that, well, before I say this last, but I'll, I'll say that Josh Jacobs, who last year was the NFL's leading rusher and then went through all this in the offseason without a new contract and he wanted to leave the Raiders and he wanted to do this, is now, now wants to stay in Las Vegas because of Antonio Pierce. The players are buying in to Pierce. Now is not the time to make the same mistake again. So I believe that Antonio Pierce should get the Raiders job, but I will say the idea of Jim Harbaugh to the Raiders is extremely interesting because Tom Brady is part of the ownership group. Uh, Brady and Harbaugh have a good relationship because of their connection to Michigan. In a recent mock draft, J.J. McCarthy was projected to go, I believe it was number eight, to the Raiders. So the idea of the Las Vegas Raiders building like a Michigan West with Harbaugh, Brady, and McCarthy is very exciting. I personally don't agree with, like as I said, I, I personally think Antonio Pierce should get the full-time job. But when you have a guy who is it, who has proven to be a winner everywhere he goes in football, you kind of have to consider it. But I feel like in the Raiders' case, it's the exact same situation of, oh, there's a shinier toy over there. I want to play with that one. And so don't overlook the guy that's been rallying your team. And, you know, a couple plays here and there go differently, and they are fighting for a playoff spot today. Don't overlook that. But I do have to say that I think the idea, the 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 possibility of Harbaugh, Brady, and J.J. McCarthy combining forces in the NFL is definitely something worth talking about. If it happens, I will enjoy watching it. But I personally am behind Antonio Pierce for that full-time job and think Harbaugh should go to the Chargers, and they, and they obviously don't need a quarterback there. That's all I have for you on this episode of Empire Sports Talk, my mom's favorite podcast. I'm your host, Roman Gennaro. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube for more great content. Today's a great day to go 1-0. I'll see you next time where we talk about the NFL playoffs.